0: Come on, I'm glad to see you guys are awake and here. I don't know if anyone has ever told you this, but you're a good-looking group. Anybody ever tell you that? <laughs> a few of you, come on. Pastor jokes, right? So lame. Um, we're so, this thing's going to drive me nuts again. Um, a little OCD, yeah. Um, we're so thankful for the time that we had to be here this week. And meeting all of you, and I was talking to Pastor James this morning, and said, "No matter how tonight turns out, I got a lot more friends now after being here this week." And uh, we are kingdom-minded people, and so wherever God has us, and whoever God has uh, for behind this pulpit, you know, uh, it's all about His kingdom and what He's doing, and lost souls coming to Him. Amen. Can we agree on that? Um you guys have been incredible this week. Uh, we've had, uh, a fun time getting to know you. I hope you've had a fun time getting to know us. Um, we, our hope was is that you could hear our heart and you could hear our passion and, uh, what's important to us. I do want to say that we are grateful to have had the time with you guys to hear your hearts and hear what's important to you. And, um, I'm not going to sugarcoat things. You guys ask some tough questions, (laughs) Um, but it's all good stuff. You know, it's all good stuff. It's going to come out sooner or later, am I right? And um, there's some stuff for us to ponder on, some stuff to to think about, and um, I met with Pastor Brooks yesterday for breakfast, and what an incredible man. I'm not telling you anything you don't already know. And uh, yeah, let's give it up for Pastor Brooks. You guys obviously love him greatly and he loves you greatly. And, and he was just reminding me that, you know, even though sometimes as you're answering questions and saying how you really feel and maybe someone doesn't really care for the way you answer the question or whatever it may be. He said, Ben, you got to remember, you don't quite have the relationship with these guys yet. And once they get to know you and they get to hear your heart and understand, you know, things will get smoothed out and all that kind of stuff. And just gave me some incredible Encouragement and wisdom, and uh, he's such a special guy. And so now I know why you guys are so special, and this is such a special place because you had an incredible leader for 16 years. And so again, I just want to say thank you, thank you for putting up with us. And uh, yeah, Pastor Chuck Yeah, absolutely.
1: No, no, no. Yeah. Oh, am I doing something wrong?
0: All right. That way. There you go. There you go. Is it okay if I fix this? Is that all right? <laughs> Here, let me see if I can help you. Oh, I appreciate it. That. That's all right. <laughs> that's all right. I want my guest speaker to be able to not mess <laughs> I appreciate not it. Mess- Um, can you do me a favor? Can you turn in your Bibles to John chapter 12? We're going to read verses 24 and 25. John 12, 24 and 25. If you're taking notes today, which I hope that you are, I talked about the importance of that last week. I am a note taker, it's usually on my phone um, for several reasons. Obviously, I retain more when I'm taking notes. But then recall helps, right? You're like, oh wait, what was that? And you can jump back to Big Note taker. I hope you guys are as well. If you are taking notes today, the title of my sermon is Planted. Planted. I want to read a few verses found again, John chapter twelve, verses twenty-four and twenty-five. This is Jesus talking here, and he says, Very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies. It produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Can we pray one more time? Jesus, we invite your presence into this place. And God, I'm going to boldly pray that each and every person in this room, from the youngest to the oldest, God, would be touched and changed by you today. God, I pray that each and every person in this place would know you better, would know you more, would be closer to you by the time that we leave here today. God, we, we just lay ourselves on the altar and we just say, God, do what only you can do in us. God, have your way in this place. I pray that not one word that leaves my mouth would, would be mine. God, I pray that they would all be yours And that our hearts would be open and ready to receive Jesus, what you want to say to us. Holy Spirit, have your way in this place. Do something in our hearts today. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen, amen. Amen. Today I want to talk a little bit about hopes and dreams. Hopes and dreams. Do you remember when you were a kid growing up what you wanted to be when you were growing up? Do you remember? For some of you, it was a little longer than others, but you can remember, right? And some people wanted to... Go into space and be an astronaut. Other people, a policeman, a fireman, um, construction, doctor, lawyer, nurse, teacher, whatever it may be. I actually knew a kid who wanted to be an ambulance when he grew up. (laughs) Yeah, you heard me right, an ambulance. And we would often remind him, you know, we're thinking, Ambulance driver, EMT, paramedic, what are you, what are you getting at? He no, 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 I want to be an ambulance. And we'd often remind him, hey, man, I don't think that's possible. And he would go on to quote Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. <laughs> you know what? I lost touch with him. I don't know what ended up happening. But um, that was his dreams, and those were his hopes that as he grew up, <laughs> he would be an ambulance. We all have these hopes and these dreams when, when we're younger But I want to talk about today what happens when those hopes and dreams don't quite turn out the way that we wish they would. I started thinking about the disciples, you know, last week. And imagine someone that you were following for years has now been killed and crucified. And it really got me thinking, man, there's been some things in my life, some hopes and dreams in my life that really didn't turn out the way that I had hoped but today I want to talk about that if we take those hopes and these dreams and we plant them in God in the love of God if we commit those to God we will be shocked astonished just floored at what he can do in our lives through our hopes and dreams do you guys agree with that Amen. Listen, if you agree with what I'm saying, at least give me a head nod. If not, and amen. You can even yell out, preach, white boy, preach. I'm okay with that. I'm a former kid's pastor. When it gets quiet, I get awkward. You don't want awkward, all right? So a little bit of interaction I'm cool with. So today what I want to do is I want to look at a couple times in scripture when someone's dreams seem dead, but then God showed up. But then God showed up. My first point today Write this down. What was it all for? What was it all for? So we all know last week was Resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday, right? And we were celebrating what Jesus did for us. And he went to the cross, and he was placed in a tomb, and he rose on the third day. But as I'm reading through that story, something jumped out at me. And it was actually the way that the disciples and his close followers, their response to him being killed, to him being put in a tomb have you ever had something in in life that you worked really hard for you poured blood sweat tears time energy effort into and then it falls apart have you ever had that yeah i would guess that all of us in this room that's happened a job a dream a hobby a relationship and it falls apart Man, that feeling is the absolute worst. Did I waste my time? What was it all for? I worked so hard. And for what? What happened to it all? Turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 16. I want to talk about the disciples here for a minute. We read several times, three times specifically where Jesus so plainly and bluntly says, hey guys, listen, I'm going to be killed, but on the third day, I'm gonna rise again. And I wanna read one of those instances here. Matthew 16, verse 21 says this. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed, and on the third day, raised uh, on the third day, be raised to life. So again, three times specifically that we read in the Gospels where he says, this is going to happen. Many more times he mentions it in more of an indirect manner or uses metaphors, but he is preparing these guys. This is going to happen. And yet, we read in Mark 16, there's a couple ladies going to visit the tomb. And they're going to anoint Jesus' body on the third day, right? That's interesting. They're taking something to anoint a dead body on the third day. Wait a minute. Didn't we just discuss that Jesus said, I'm going to be raised on the third day? So these women are not expecting for him to be alive if they're going to anoint his body. What about the disciples? Where were they? You know where they were? Hiding behind locked doors. I would think, and obviously we all think the best of ourselves, if Jesus, the Messiah, the one that I love, the one that I had committed my life to, the one who I saw do incredible miracles and incredible things, said, I'm going to be killed, and on the third day I'm going to rise again, I would think as the sun comes up, I would be staring at that tomb for something amazing to happen. But again, I think the best of myself, more than likely, I would have been doing what the disciples did too. They just watched their leader be killed in a horrific way. And they're hiding. They're afraid for their lives. But again, I just want to put myself in their shoes for a second. Imagine this man that you committed to following for three years. You left everything you knew. Your family... Your job, your security, everything that you grew to love and to know, and you commit your life to this man, and you follow him for three years, and then he was killed. They probably thought, What was it all for? Did I just waste the last three years? I don't understand why he was killed, I don't understand what happened what was it all for i don't know if you've ever found your place found yourself in a place like that in life where you say i poured so much into something and then it was destroyed before your very eyes it fell apart maybe you lost a job through covid or something like that or there's a relationship or whatever where you're like i just saw this going so differently What was all that hard work for? I'm here to encourage you today, church, that nothing is dead, nothing is over, and nothing is final until God says it is. Nothing. Nothing. Jeremiah 29, 11. A lot of you know this verse. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Church, maybe you find yourself in a place similar to the disciples, where you're saying, "What was it all for? My dream was crushed. It is dead. I don't. I didn't. Ne- I did never see it going this way. That relationship that I have with my son, with my daughter, with my uh, relative, whatever it may be, I did not see it going this way. It is over. It's dead. It's final." Your promise isn't dead if it's planted in God today. The only way that that seed can go to produce fruit or or more seeds, more wheat, whatever it may be, is if it is planted in the ground. If it just dies on top of the earth, nothing happens. It was one Singular death. But if it is planted, and even though you think it's dead and gone, but it is planted in the ground, there are things that are happening that we cannot see. Church, God is doing something in your life if you have committed these things and these promises to Him. If you find yourself in that place today where you say, What was it all for? Take courage. Take courage. Commit it to Him. The disciples thought that their dream of following the Messiah was over. But we know what happened. And the cross was just the beginning. The cross wasn't final. The tomb was only temporary. On the 3rd day he rose again and he appeared to his disciples. And not only that, he wasn't just raised to life. Meets his disciples and then goes to heaven. There was something very important that he did before that. What did he do? He gave them the great commission. And he said, I'm not done with you yet. I got a job for you. I got a plan for you. Can I tell you today that God has a job and a plan for you? I don't care if you're eight months or 800 years old, God has a plan for you. And it's not to sit there and just listen to great sermons or whatever it may be, It's to get up off that thing and be about his work and his will. And we got a job to do, church, and there needs to be a sense of urgency in regards to that job. Twelve men were sent out to turn this world right side up for him. That same call is being presented to us today. Point number two. What did he just say? What did he just say? Has anyone ever said something to you that was so crazy, outlandish, that you go, what did he just say? That's wild. That's crazy. That, what did he just say? There's no way, no way you just said that. Please turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 15. I want to read about a time that God said something to Abraham that seemed crazy. And I want to focus on Abraham's response to what God said to him. I do want to give you some context. I love to give context. Sometimes it seems easier just to kind of like, oh, we're just going to focus on this. But to me, the why matters, the context, how we got here, what's going on. So I want to give you a little bit of context before we jump into the main point here. Genesis chapter 15, verses 1 through 6 is a conversation between God and Abram. I'm going to both refer to him as Abram and Abraham because this part of the story is before his name was changed, so don't get confused. We're talking about the same guy here. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord... What can you give me since I remain childless, and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him, This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, Look up at the sky. Count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. So God and Abram have a covenant. They have a promise. We, A lot of us in this room know the story, and Abram go on, and him and Sarah actually kind of make this plan that they tried to force things along, right? And Abram ends up having a son with Ishmael. Or I'm sorry, with Hagar, named Ishmael. And that was not God's plan or God's promise, but they kind of forced the matter. But God in his goodness, like Pastor Bob said, I love what you said, like if we're moving, if we're trying, even if we make mistakes, God is a good God. And he says here, let me help you with that. Genesis seventeen nineteen says, Then God said, Yes, but your wife Sarah will bear you a son, and you will call him Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. Now, I want you to flip ahead a few chapters. Turn to Genesis chapter 22. Genesis chapter 22. How many know that there are times in your life where God may call you to lay something down that is not easy to lay down? Have you been there? God asked you to lay a hope, a dream, a plan, a promise, a blessing, to lay it down at his feet. That's hard to do. That is hard to do. And Abraham is going to be asked to do that very thing. Genesis 22, we're going to read. We're going to start in verse 1. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham... Here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain, I will show you. My response? What did he just say? What about this this covenant? What about this promise? Excuse me, you want me to do what? Come again? I... My son that I prayed for, that I longed for, that I waited all these years for. You want me to take this promise that you you promised me. You gave him to me. You did a miracle and gave me Isaac, and now you're saying, kill him. That's what I would say. I would go, God, can we talk about this? Can I weigh in on this one here? That's what I would want to say. But I want to focus on Abraham's response, and it's interesting. Found in verse 3, this is what he actually did. It says, Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offerings, he set out for the place God had told him about. Pastor Chuck, I don't know about you, but I didn't read anywhere in there where he argued with God. Early the next morning, he got everything ready. He didn't him and haw. He didn't come up with excuses. You know what, God, I'll get to that, but I got a lunch date tomorrow. We're going to be at Starbucks. He didn't do that. Early the next morning, he got up, he got ready, and he said, I'm going to follow what God has told me. We're going to jump down to verse 6. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to the father, to his father Abraham. "Father, yes, my son," Abraham replied. "The fire and the wood are here, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering?" Abraham answered, "God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son." And the two of them went on together. Verse 9. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. Abraham looked up, and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. He took that promise, and he planted that promise. He knew God was going to do something incredible. We read about that later on in the, in the New Testament. He knew God is gonna to have to show up because he, ta- he gave me a promise and we all know that when God gives you a promise, when he gives you a covenant, you can take it to the bank. So he knew God is going to show up. So he had to take this promise and he had to take something that was so precious to him that he loved so much and lay it on an altar. And he had to raise the knife and he was gonna follow through and God, whoa, 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 Now I know where your allegiance lies. Now I know where your heart lies. Church, there are times that God may do this to us, and he will ask us to recommit a promise, a blessing, something that we hold so dearly, he'll ask us to give it back to him. We do that with our children, right, when we dedicate them. We love them so much, and then we say, God, I'm so thankful for this promise, but I am giving this promise back to you. Because how many know as awesome as all of you are, I would rather have God's fingerprints on this promise than my fingerprints on this promise, amen? I would rather see what God can do in this situation, not just what I can do in this situation. I want to see God move in this promise, not just me in this promise. Takes me to my third and final point. And it's this. I can't do this anymore. I can't do this anymore. I want to take a few minutes and I want to share part of our story with you. How many know in Revelation it says, and they will overcome him, him being Satan, by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. I have a testimony, church. I'm going to cry a lot. (laughs) Have you ever been carrying a dream and it hurts? Have you ever had hope and you've hoped and you've wanted and you've dreamed for so long? And it hurts, and those hopes and the dreams are just a reminder of what you don't have. Or how you are not seeing God move in this specific area in your life. From the time I was a child, I wanted to be a dad. And I know that's not a manly thing to say, probably. Girls dream that up right like get married and kids and all that stuff and boys are like let's break something let's blow something up but we did that too we did that too but I just want to be a dad and I could not wait to be a dad and I just could not wait to someday have kids and be a dad I have I have an incredible father. He's here today. I could not wait to try to implement some of the things that I had learned from him. And, uh, take you down a little bit of a journey, our, uh, our, our journey, our story. Don't cry. you gonna make me cry. Um, I met my wife through youth group, and uh, we were young, and, uh, we became best friends before we ever dated and then we started dating and my wife was diagnosed with a disease called polycystic ovarian and she knew it from the time she was 16. And they said, listen, you'll probably struggle to have kids, but it'll happen, like oh, awesome. So Amber and I dated for a long time and we got married and we had decided we're going to wait five years to have kids. And a year in, my wife says, I'm ready. And I went, what happened to the plan? <laughs> I like a plan, but that plan went out the window. I was ready. I was ready. And so we began to start trying to have kids, and we were struggling a little bit. We were seeing just her OBGYN at first, and then we ended up seeing a specialist. And... Um, and they're always so positive, which is great. I mean, I wouldn't want them being negative. But start talking like, oh, you have a 75% chance of this treatment working. And So we would try it. and We'd go in hopes up, and then it wouldn't happen. And years, years and years of this happening and seeing different specialists and different doctors and just um, disappointing test after disappointing test. And my wife was on medication the whole time to help her try to get pregnant. And, and I can only imagine, maybe some of you in this room you know what she was dealing with, but it's, you know, constant ups and downs and emotional roller coaster, and being on this medication. And she, we got in the car after seeing a specialist and she was in tears. And she just said, I want to be myself again. I just want to be myself again. I want to just take a break from trying. I said, sweetheart, it is your body. I'm not going through what you're going through. I love you, and I support you. And so in that car that day, we prayed and just said, God, I don't understand. I don't get it. The chances and the odds are in our favor and all this kind of stuff, and it's not happening. But, God, we commit this to you. We've tried I believe in doctors and I believe in medicine. I believe that God is our healer as well. So we commit it to Him. The next day, we get a phone call from a good friend of Amber's, and, and I should tell you this as well, my, my parents uh, have adopted eight kids through foster care. So we have four biological kids, I'm the oldest, and then there's eight adopted kids, and I saw how amazing that ministry is and the need and so here was our plan let's have to and adopt to that's what we want to do so amber's friend ashley called and said hey i don't i know your story and i know what your plans are but i i don't know where you're at but i know a little boy and a little girl who are two and three that need a forever home do you want to meet them so she said, "I got to talk to my husband." So we thought and we prayed about it. And within a week, we're meeting these two rambunctious, wild children, and fell in love immediately. And they have a wild story, and maybe someday we'll share that story. Uh, but we we had the opportunity; their parents' rights had been terminated they were taken away for neglect. And uh, we had the opportunity to adopt Callie. So we were foster parents just at first for a few weeks and then we started the adoption process. And and we got everything done in a year. I mean, which you don't know how big of a miracle that is unless you know how difficult it is. I have some siblings that took five plus years. So within a year that happened. And uh, we adopted them in December. And by June, we moved to New York. Long Island that's where we've been since and it was really cool because how many know that even when we don't understand God has a plan and hindsight can be twenty twenty, right and we look back and it's been it's been so cool what God has established in our family and solidified in our family and us we, we just had the opportunity to pour into Mick and Callie and just love on them and truly become their parents and we still wanted to have to So we went back and we saw more specialists. And we were coming to the place, and I thank God for for doctors and nurses that believe in God as well and don't put all of their faith in in modern medicine, but put their faith in God too. And we sat before this man, Dr. San Ramon, and he said, listen, we've come to the place where you have just as good a chance of getting pregnant with medicine is without. And he told me something interesting. I'm just going to throw this out out there. This isn't kind of taking a slight detour here. When you're going through infertility, it's one of the loneliest things you could ever go through. And you think you're alone. And he shared something interesting with me. And so just in the event that you're going through it or you know someone who is, he said statistics show that one in four couples struggle. And out of the one of One of four. One of four of them, we just go like this and say, We don't know. And he was really cool. Maybe he could have gotten in trouble for saying this, but he goes, Ben, listen, our job is to kind of put everything in the right place, but we all know who the giver of life is, don't we? And so that was our last day meeting with a specialist. That was our last day in that office. And I was a pastor. I've been saved. I feel like my whole life. And I had I had a problem. I had a problem with God. We had beef, as the kids would say these days. They probably don't even say that anymore. It's probably not even cool. Um, where I'm going, God, I don't understand. I love kids. I love babies. I was a kid's pastor. Not only did my parents adopt so many kids before then we had a daycare in our home I've been surrounded by by children my entire life, I love kids I have a heart, I feel like I would make a great father and I would love to see what half me, half Amber looks like and you know I wanted to see this promise come come true and and we were praying still but hope began to hurt that dream began to hurt and God and I were good in 99% of my life and there was 1% where I'm like I'm going to hold this against you I don't understand I don't get it and I started to sense that there was something in me that needed to be dealt with and again we come back to this place where we committed it to God again We come back to this place where I say, God, I don't understand, I don't really like it, but your will be done, not mine. We're just gonna do everything we can to love on Mick and Callie the way that we always have. And if this doesn't ever happen, I'm gonna love you the same. And I'm not saying that in a bragging way, because if we had more time, I would tell you every other way I've messed up, but we'd be here till next Sunday couple Thanksgivings ago my brother and sister-in-law were in town visiting and my wife would have to take what she would do is she'd have like a little inkling or feeling like oh, am I pregnant am I not you know we tried for 12 years and um, she would have to take a test even though she knew it would be negative so she could move on so not to go into too much detail, but generally when you take a pregnancy test, you take it in the morning, right? 10 o'clock at night, Thanksgiving. We're sitting around the table, think, playing some kind of board game, dominoes, yeah. And my wife screams out, I'm pregnant. And my, my brother and his wife look at me, and I go, I'll be right back, <laughs> So she comes out of the hallway screaming, holding a test, and it says positive. And I go, whoa, 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 Do you have any more? Can you take some more? She said, no, this is my last one. In case anyone's wondering, CVS is open pretty late at night, even on Thanksgiving. I went and bought four more tests. Not lying, we got pictures. And we had five positives. And again, I wish, I wish your mom was here right now, she's in Florida, but I wish she was here right now. She said something so profound. She said, for so many years we've been praying for a baby, and God in all of His goodness didn't give you a baby, He gave you a healing, and man, that is so true, and again not to go into too much detail but my wife was on birth control and she was still breastfeeding Peyton and we got pregnant again <laughs> which i was told you're not supposed to be able to get pregnant while all those things are happening how good is god how good is our father <laughs> I don't tell you this today to say look at us or anything like that. I just, I want to share our testimony because it's, it, it's all Him. It's all Him. And I, I learned a valuable lesson of what it means to take your hopes and your dreams and plant them in God. Would you stand with me today, church? I'm going to invite our pastoral team to come forward. And what we're going to do is we're going to open up the altars. One thing I I hope I've conveyed this week is I don't like just sitting around talking about it. I want to do something about it. And today I feel like there's some decisions that need to be made in this place. going to start with an important one first. If you're in this place and you say, Ben, I've heard about Jesus. I've heard about God, but I don't have that relationship with him that you're talking about. Today's your day. Today is your day that you can start that relationship. And there's going to be some amazing couples up here that want to pray with you. And they want to talk to you about that. Maybe you're in this place and you say, I once knew him. I once loved him. I had a relationship, but I walked away. Today is your day. Today is your day. The second part of this altar call is going to be this. Maybe you're in this place and something that I mentioned today struck a chord with you. Where you had a dream, you had a hope, you had something that you were that you are so passionately about and you feel like it has been destroyed, you feel like it has been taken, maybe as a relationship, maybe as a job, maybe, whatever it may be, that you say, I've poured so much into this. And today, what I wanna challenge you with and maybe help you with, just because, again, I messed it up so many times, take that dream and plant it in him today. Be willing to be like Abraham and say, God, I give it to you today. I've tried. I've put my hands all over this thing. My fingerprints are on it, but I'm done. It's yours. And then step back and watch what God does. Church, I believe testimonies are gonna come out of this place from this service right now. Both of salvation And you're going to look back on this day, April 24th, 2022, and say something happened in that church. God did something that day, and it will echo through eternity. And you will be able to teach your kids, and you will be able to teach your grandkids about being planted in him, and about being committed, and committing your hopes, and your dreams, and your plans, and your future to him, no matter how hard and scary that is. God called us a year and a half ago to leave a church that we love with our whole hearts and to just start walking. I never in a million years dreamed I would be standing before such an amazing congregation in Northville, Michigan. (laughs) Never. And yet, look what God does. Look what God does. So this is what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna pray. And when I say, men, I don't want you to hesitate. I want you to move. And I want you to come forward, and these altars are open. If if you need prayer with one of these men or or couples, wives, please feel free to come forward. If you want to pray with them, that's amazing. If you just say, I just got to do business with God one-on-one, and I need to do something at these altars, we encourage that as well. Don't let this moment pass you by. Respond. Jesus, we love you so much today. and God, we are thankful for your goodness and your mercy. And God, that you are the way maker. You are the miracle worker. You are our promise keeper. So God, today we commit these promises and these hopes and these dreams to you. We plant them in you so that they don't just die on the surface But God, they are planted and so that they may grow and reproduce and so that many people would come to know you through our testimony of what you've done in our lives. Jesus, we commit everything that we are. We commit who we are to you this morning. We love you in Jesus' name.